Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm Intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Here we are, Patrick. First week of December. What do you have for us from the news desk this week? Well, thank you to everyone for wishing me a happy birthday. Sorry we've been a little off. Uh, Last week we had a car wreck. Or I had a car wreck. Um... But everything's good now. Uh, it's it's not just that. I, I wanted to address this off off the top that uh, the weekly thing. It's just not always gonna gonna happen. That's, yeah, that's why I tried to encourage people the last time is go through, look at the archives, try to go through. I mean, we have almost two hundred episodes, so if you go through, you can find something to listen to. But as far as being here every single week, it's it's just not possible at the moment. Yeah, which is completely understandable. All right, Patrick. All right. Well, now, getting into the world of pro wrestling news yes. for this first week of December, what do you have for it? The WWE UK Championship has been stolen in a smash and grab uh, here in the United States at a upcoming Evolve show that was taking place later this evening. And, uh, yeah, so the title is gone. Well, when you get into WWE titles, I don't really shed much of a tear because they can just make you another one. Yes. It's not like when AEW lost their world title. Chris Jericho was at, like, the Texas Longhorn or some steakhouse and had the AEW title misplaced or stolen or... I'm not exactly sure what happened. He ended up getting it back. But in his case, I felt sorry for him because, okay, this is an upstart company. They probably don't have another... They don't have a replica title ready to go. They don't have anything equivalent. But in the WWE, there's a million There's probably these four things. back, yeah. Yeah, so um, I feel for him. and He should do a better job of protecting it. At the same time, the UK title is so low on the totem pole. I mean... It is a beautiful belt. It's a beautiful belt. It's my favorite looking title belt, but it's never defended on a main roster pay-per-view. It's never brought up. In fact, in Survivor Series, Walter uh, got pinned in about three minutes and was made a fool of, despite being the UK champion. So if this thing gets stolen... I'm sure the WWE just says, "Okay, well, here's another one." And if we and if they find it, that's great. But if they don't, here's another one. I yeah. don't think it really matters. Moving forward, yesterday, uh, Teddy Hart was released from MLW. I tried to uncover what's behind Teddy Hart being released because Teddy Hart notoriously a problem. Uh, it, it's amazing he got as many years out of MLW as he did, but this is a guy that threw away opportunities in WWE and ROH and other promotions because he's out of his he he's out of control. Uh, he's yeah. it's really strange, and even when you look at him and the way he wrestles, it's so different from the rest of the heart family. Yeah. And they're all technicians. They're all stretch them. They're all like normal shooters or yeah. whatever. And here comes along a guy in your same family that's all about moonsaults 
and just diving and doing crazy shit and uh, bad tattoos, earrings. He's definitely... Pothead. The black sheep of the Hart family. Uh, it goes without saying. I mean, even when you look at, like, uh, Davy Boy Smith Jr. Yeah. And, I mean, that he seems more in line with his father than Teddy Hart with any other Hart family member. And... He had burned his bridge many years ago at WWE. Uh, went to Wrestling Society X. Wrestling Society X. Teddy was a part of Wrestling Society X. He went to Ring of Honor later on, where he did enough moonsaults to when he threw up on a on a show. And uh, <laughs> he he's got like a ton of cats at home. He's a really strange guy, and. The MLW thing was going well because you had the New Heart Foundation. I mean, they had secured the rights to that name, and you had Pillman, and you had Davey Boy Smith Jr., and you had Teddy Hart. So, okay, Hart Foundation 2.0. It was working. I think it was great. Yeah, and then you get here to December 7th, 2019, and I think that Teddy Hart... Who knows what exactly caused him to get released. Minor controversy with his ex-girlfriend. Apparently one of Teddy Hart's ex-girlfriends, I don't know how many years ago, I think it was like three years ago, went missing. Oh, And there was... I was not aware of this. Some suspicion that he might have had something to do with it. And then at the end of November, so about a week ago... He posted this really bizarre uh, video with his current girlfriend, and they're driving along, and he's basically making light that his ex-girlfriend went disappearing, and who knows where she is, and he's like, well, my current girlfriend, I'll tell you where she is, she's gonna be in my bed, because I'm Teddy Hart, and I don't know what's going on as far as the search for this ex-girlfriend, And there's been some very, very... I mean, this is very preliminary as far as what I've been reading on Twitter and people speculating. This is pure speculation. Is that there have been some recent developments about the ex-girlfriend possibly turning up. I don't know if she's alive or not. Or possibly some leads as to how she disappeared... And if Teddy Hart is involved in that, which that's what makes me think MLW released him, is the controversy with this ex-girlfriend. And I I hope it's not true. Yeah, um, no, no. Considering what that implies, but we're going to have to wait and see because the MLW press release about his release was nothing. It had no details. It Very just said, vague, wasn't it? It just said, Teddy Hart has been released. That's it. There was nothing else. There was no context why he was released. What? what. So, when you give that vague of a statement, it just kind of leads people to speculate. And we'll see where it goes from here. I hope yeah. that we're not walking into another wrestling tragedy, but... I mean, it seems very odd because he's had a long relationship with Major League Wrestling and to just be dismissed without any explanation 
and with any and without any dirt sheets or anything else online speculating about what it is that's just kind of strange in the same day they released Teddy Hart they announced that ACH was going to come and work some dates for them and if you've been following the story this is the guy that was called Jordan Miles in NXT and went on all these rants about the WWE's racist and they're doing all these things against me and um, Jay Lethal's an Uncle Tom and just went on these bizarre tirades all because of a t-shirt that had a, a smiley face that said Jordan Miles on it which he interpreted to be racist which if I looked at the shirt I probably would agree with him but um, MLW hired him so it's just kind of strange that okay we're going to this controversial guy and we're going to let this other guy go that leads me to believe there's something more going on with the Teddy Hart story that we're just not privy to Right, it's just too early to, to know and it's unfortunate because uh, the few times I've seen him wrestle including in uh, wrestling society X and stuff like that. I thought, here's a guy that can do a bunch of moonsaults. He's a high flyer. Yeah, he's exciting. He has the the family name behind him. I always thought he could be something special, but he he just has personal demons and he he just can't function inside a um, corporate environment. As the story develops with Teddy Hart, we'll be able to comment more. But it's so it's so early right now. I mean, all we all we know is that he's been released. So. Yeah. The uh, the Fiend has a new belt. Yes. <laughs> the Fiend Bray Wyatt. Actually, I mean, if you really consider it, he has two new belts because uh, a couple of weeks ago he unveiled the blue universal title since he's a smackdown star very true and that was what he defended at survivor series was the blue belt and then we come back a couple of weeks later and we're on smackdown and we're in a firefly funhouse segment and he unveils a new belt which is a belt without a title plate a very strange belt because his head is the title plate. It's it's the fiend's face, and then just his hair stretched out across the entire strap. Yeah, is that a good way to explain it? Yeah, the the strap almost looks like sort of like veins or something. Yeah. I don't know if it's exactly supposed to be the hair, but it says like it says a couple words on both sides, like friend or enemy or something. It's very generic. But so he unveils this belt on SmackDown. And it's confusing to me because we're still in this mindset of is Bray Wyatt aware that he is the Fiend? I know that he mentions the Fiend. I know that he yeah. mentions what happens with the Fiend. Are they the same person? We don't know. So... Bray Wyatt the human has the blue belt. This is what I'm being led to believe. And the fiend has the fiend belt. And the fiend belt was then put on Shop Zone. And my jaw hit the floor 
when I saw how much they wanted for this Fiend title belt. Please tell me, because I have not seen it. I did not look at the price. Before shipping and taxes, Patrick, shipping is usually free yeah. in the U.S. Yeah. $6,500. No fucking way. I shit you not, Patrick. $6,500. Because these are handcrafted belts from... They want $6,500 for a Fiend custom title belt. Now, these are sold as handcrafted by Tom Savini. Now, Tom Savini is a horror movie guru. He's very renowned in horror movie circles. So, does he do, like... um he has like so, special effects, okay, like yeah, gore. That's the what I was thinking. Of. So he does special effects and things, and so now they have asked him to make these. Yes, and so these are handmade, and they offer them for sixty five hundred dollars plus sixty five hundred dollars plus tax. So in our case, uh, we have an almost ten uh, percent sales tax. So then you're looking at uh, $650 in sales tax, almost. Jesus. And <laughs> I would laugh, but I saw one person that at least bought one of these. Really? On Twitter. So I know that they have sold them. Now, will he actually bring these out to a match? I don't know. Because the blue belt was just... Like I said, the blue belt seems to be the belt. It was just two weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, uh, so... I'm not sure, but... We've talked about the belt prices being insane before, but this takes it to a... Oh, this is fucking ridiculous. This is absolutely absurd. And that's, that's stupid because you're taking away from your general public... Of being able to... Buy what it is you're offering. Okay, $700. I saw a replica AEW belt for $700, which is just now slowly starting to be made. And I was like, $700 for the AEW belt, which is a massive belt. It's got a lot of detail. It's a lot of crafts, uh, craft work in it. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll, I, I'm, it's worth saving a couple of weeks or a month or two to add up to get it. $6,500? Nobody's saving for a couple of months for that. Who the fuck can afford that? There's no aspect of a title belt with this belt because it's his face in the middle of it. Yeah. And much like the Daniel Bryan wooden belt, which was only like... It's a steal now at like $350. It's like how long or how long is this even going to be around? Yeah. Because I sort of see this entire fiend thing ending at WrestleMania when Roman Reigns beats him. I just I don't see any other way around it. Like is that the move that I would make? No, but it just seems like this is not long for this world. Yeah. And so I would <laughs> I just can't believe anybody would spend, yeah, seven grand on a title belt. Jesus, that's 
That's insane. That's legitimately crazy to imagine spending that much money for a belt. And not even a belt that's going to be in circulation. It's a specialty title that so far he has not used in the ring. It's not even been out there. Now, if he goes on some sort of crazy two or three run, two or three year title run, and we see this belt all the time, it's still not worth $7,000, but at least you see it. Instead of you buy into the fact that it's it's aware like it's it's part of an actual working in ring quality championship. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? Yeah, and I saw some discussion this week on Twitter about who's your wrestler of the year, and some people were saying Bray Wyatt, and to me, no. it's not Bray Wyatt. It's the Kofi. character. Well, yeah. Kofi. To me, Kofi... I I would put Kofi as my number two. Okay. We'll probably do all these year-end awards in a week or two, if we can record. <laughs> um, I'd pr- I, I would put Kofi up there, but to me, and this is crazy coming from me, because last year I shit on him so much... But Dean Ambrose, because John Moxley, when he debuted in AEW, that was such a big deal. He put on great matches since then. It looks like he's lining up to be the number one contender for the next AEW pay-per-view. He's reinvented his character. He's reinvented his promo style. He's actually seemed to care about his matches. He's totally 180'd from where he was last year. Last year, I was saying, I'm done with this guy. I never want to see him again. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah. But this year, he turned it all around. And he's really been the... Between the two promotions, honestly, because about the WWE... I mean, they had the whole Shield send-off. They gave him this hero's exit, and then he was in AEW. So I think... He's welcomed with a hero's door. Entrance, Yeah. yeah. As so part of the first pay-per-view and all this. I think I would probably put him as my number one. Kofi and number two, but it's the way they ended Kofi's title run and relegated him back to the tag team title that... I gotta go with the... Uh, I'm with you. And I think number three is the uh, No More Perfect Ten. We become the chairman. No more title. Sean Spears? Sean Spears. Because he went from a nobody to a contender and doing it his way, standing his ground. That's fair. I would probably put Jericho above him because Jericho as champion has been very entertaining. And also, just, just what Jericho accomplished in this year as far as... He's on TNT in 2019 when he was on TNT on Nitro in 1996. Yes. Just the longevity and that he's still entertaining. Doesn't put on the same quality of matches, but um, I think he would be up there as well. And so, yeah. We can get into a Wrestler of the Year conversation some other time, but... 
We don't keep up with New Japan as much, but I'd probably say Okada would probably have one of the best years uh, for 2019. But we can talk about that another day. Anyway, moving forward, um, there is a special night coming up next weekend. This will be airing before next weekend, I'm assuming. And so, for all of you who tune in and listen, uh, do me a favor. Go out there to Bleacher Report. Order it online. Order it or through through um, online video pay-per-views. Order it through Bleacher Report or Fight Network. Um, but in Knoxville, I, I will. I may or may not be there. Uh, I definitely probably not in a in-ring capacity. But uh, in Knoxville. We are doing a night of appreciation for the legend himself, a true dear friend of mine, beautiful Bobby Eaton. Uh, so this is a tribute show. It is to him for him to enjoy and be a part of that. Really, Bobby is not in social media world. Bobby has no idea that this is actually happening. So that's even much cooler and uh so much cooler and no, they they told him it was just gonna be a meet and greet yeah so uh it's 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 really cool man yeah Definitely. it's happening up in knoxville they've got like the barbarian tom pritchard some other uh older school guys that are gonna be there i think it's a very nice thing to do it's kind of sad though because you usually don't do tribute shows until after someone's passed away, but we know that Bobby's not been in the best of health the last couple of years when he got lost in the Atlanta airport and stuff, yeah. and so it's kind of a bummer to be putting this show on. But as far as the, as far as what the promoters have said about it is that it's going to. 100% of the proceeds are going to be going to him. I and I think yes. that's. Uh, really an amazing thing now that's if it follows through because we're talking about independent wrestling promotions and who knows what's gonna happen bobby had uh bobby had some some health issues a couple months back and we may or may not have talked about it on here uh medical bills things like that were extremely high and so any and all proceeds whether you purchase to watch it whether you buy a ticket to go there whether you buy an autograph, buy a picture with someone else, whoever, whatever, all that money, all the proceeds go to him. And I can vouch that that is as true as can be because I have spoke with the owner and the promoter and the guys that are putting this on, and they are some of the guys that I have worked with in the past that are stand-up wrestlers, <laughs> not necessarily promoters yourself, but the boys that have gotten a ring that have they're doing it they're doing it for him and so these are stand up guys this is as real as it gets all proceeds will go to Bobby Eaton and i just think it's awesome man it's really cool buy it check it out if you're in the southeast go to the show if you're not buy it on fight on bleacher report on internet pay-per-view whatever it's bobby eaton's night of appreciation um like i said i quite possibly 
will be there. Um, not in a in-ring capacity role, but who knows? You never know. Uh, as close as me and Bobby are, uh, anything could happen. But yeah, check it out, please. This uh, He deserves it. He is a true legend, and we even heard, you know, Austin talk about it on the podcast that he, the sit down podcast conversation show, whatever, with Undertaker, which is a great segue into our next thing. But he talks about winning the TV title from Bobby Eaton and that he wasn't worthy in his mind. He just, that Bobby Eaton is on the Mount Rushmore to him. Of, and Stone Cold Steve Austin saying that about beautiful Bobby Eaton. So definitely. Uh, he is especially for me as well. He is he is one of the most stand up legends of all time. Yeah, the Broken Skull specials aired last week. It did uh, Survivor Series weekend, and it was an hour and a half with Mark Calloway, basically out of character, which is strange to hear him speak in his redneck Texas voice as yes. opposed to his grizzly Undertaker voice, but. Really enjoyed it. Thought that there were some cool takeaways from it, including Ole Anderson telling uh, Mark Calloway in 1989 or 1990 or whenever it was that yeah. um, no one's going to pay to see you wrestle. <laughs> and, Needless uh, did we know. Yeah. And uh, that really, no matter who's in charge of WCW, no matter who is the, the booker, no matter who owns it, no matter that's really the the death nail to WCW because he's sitting Undertaker is sitting across from Austin who they basically said the same thing to and that's these two men went on to revolutionize the sport of professional wrestling in a whole new a whole new face, a whole new generation. But the fact that they couldn't see anything in Undertaker is really surprising because like I've said a million times on this podcast the most important thing you can be as a pro wrestler is tall and if you are tall there is some work for you somewhere and the fact that people like Sid Justice or Sid Vicious got more play in WCW than someone like The Undertaker is ridiculous because The Undertaker, as Mean Mark, was doing uh, elbows off. He was, before old school, when he would grab your hand and walk the rope, he could just hop up there, walk the rope, and drop an elbow on you. Yeah. And he was a very active pro wrestler for a big man or whatever. And I just, it's, it's just so WCW to tell a guy who, by the way, can't speak, you know, very well... And just say, we've got nothing for you. See you later, buddy. And part of it I understand because they wanted to be the sports, the sports-centric wrestling promotion where guys... I mean, there were exceptions. Like, like Sting is a very cartoon character in their yeah. universe. But for the most part, most of their characters were not cartoon characters. But if I've got a super tall, athletic dude that cannot speak, okay, he's gotten better at speaking over the years. But at that time in 1990 or whatever, no. Don't don't hand him a microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Now, had they only 
gone. And The Undertaker, to me, isn't that cartoony of a character. He's not that far of a reach. He's not ding-dongs. He's not... He's not something too crazy. Yeah. And had they gone... Had they just given him something, a gimmick, this entire... Him and Austin, it was, it was strange the two of them sitting there and talking because... Had they just given either of them something, something, some sort of character, this entire thing, we wouldn't be talking about it today. Oh, we watched it on the WWE Network. We'd be watching it on the WCW Network. Yeah. Because... Exactly. And and that's part of his loyalty was built into WWF from that because, oh, well, the number two promotion said I'd never draw... I, no one would pay to see me wrestle, so of course he's never going to listen to any offers from yeah. them. So it was very, it was very entertaining. I, I liked it a lot better than the podcast format. I loved the two guys sitting around drinking whiskey. I enjoyed the fact that they're they're similar guys and that they're both from Texas. But Austin, I mean, comes out. I mean, it's one of the first things he says. He says, "I worked with you, but I don't, I don't know you." Yeah. Because they are very different personalities. Very, yes. And, um... I did not know, out of watching that, that Undertaker, a.k.a. Mark Calloway, was trained by Buzz Sawyer, which blew me away. No, I mean, Buzz Sawyer sounded like a terrible fucking trainer, too. Oh, dude, Buzz Sawyer, yeah. He was... Left him high and dry. Yes, Buzz Sawyer is is definitely, uh... Listen... He was a part of some great stuff. He was, he is a NWA legend for sure. Um, but who man, he has a rough past, and I can believe every fucking word that he said. Uh, I, all the way down to the fact of him just packing up shit and leaving his dogs, just fucking leave to, to just leave them in the backyard. They'll fi- they'll fend for themselves. Well, he got all the he got Undertaker's money and all those kids training with him. So, and they, time to go. Yeah, and they trained out in the uh, in the driveway. The yard, yeah, yeah the wonderful. Yard. <laughs> it's just like what the fuck. Um, and I really enjoyed Austin watching that video of Undertaker coming back as the American Badass because it just showed to me how much Austin loves talking over wrestling footage with other wrestlers, like. The delight he got out of it. Like, oh, he's going to post up for you. Oh, yeah. And he's laughing, and he's into it. And Undertaker's like, yeah, that was a tough night or whatever. Yeah, Austin just... He's an amazing amazing interviewer. Yes. And he loves watching wrestling with other wrestlers. He loves talking about, oh, he's going to really sell that for you. Here here we go. And just, uh, that was probably my favorite part of the entire interview was just him watching and the delight he got from watching highlights. Yeah, talking about Triple H getting airtime off of the choke slam and stuff. He's, yeah, you're right. He he bought into it. Yeah, he's going to post up for you here. It's crazy to me to think about how short Stone Cold Steve Austin's wrestling career was because we're talking about just for the Undertaker character, we're coming up on 30 years of the Undertaker character and Stone Cold Steve Austin's career went from the late 80s to 2003 if you I mean with some breaks in between so you're talking about a guy that wrestled for 15 years and 
talking to a guy that wrestled for 30. And what Austin accomplished in that very brief window, what he accomplished in his very short time gets him in the same league as The Undertaker. And that's kind of crazy to me to think about. It's like... Or or a or a Ric Flair or a Hogan. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a, a big popular tweet from I think it was from Bleacher Report or somebody. It was like it was like name your Mount Everest of pro wrestling. And I went through some of the responses, some of from even like wrestlers or like Bischoff and everybody. Yeah. And the one constant, no matter the other three deviations from the four. Austin was always in there. Yeah. And that's just crazy to me that yeah. in such a short amount of time, he became one of the top four in most people's Yeah, minds. I mean, like, you put him... Exactly. You put him up there with Hogan, with Flair. Uh, I personally don't think so, but a lot of people would argue the fact that he was he's more loved than, than Dusty Rhodes. One interesting part about that Undertaker interview is so Austin's kind of, you know, nudging him about retirement and, you know, you left all your shit in the ring and you didn't retire. Dude, okay, first of all, before you continue, this motherfucker sits right there and says he's retired six times (laughs) after WrestleMania. And the fact that Michelle McCool at the house is rolling her eyes, oh, honey, that was it. No, it's not. No, it's not. Well, not only not only that, but like I mean, they they go back before when he left his shit in the ring. They go back to the the second Triple H match with him at WrestleMania. And, yeah, and twenty seven with us. No, uh, twenty eight. Twenty eight. Go on. Uh, so, and and that scene at the end when it's Michaels and Undertaker and Triple H all hugging at the ramp and Undertaker's like well I I, I you know we improvised that because I, I thought I that was it or whatever yeah. and uh <laughs> then he goes he goes to two years later with Brock and he thought that was it well he was knocked out he didn't yeah. remember any he of that but I mean even then though he was saying oh well you know but it was funny to me so yeah. after all yeah. these these things and so Austin's like I know, and and so Undertaker says, you know, the one guy, the one guy I really respect for, you know, never coming back, Shawn Michaels. Who? Who totally, he totally glossed over the fact that, yeah. He came back earlier this year and had a match with him. Well, last year, last year. Oh, it was last year. Okay. And had a match with him in a tag match. And he's sitting across from the guy that actually never came back. Yes. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, Shawn Michaels is just the guy that he really, once he was done, he was done. No. Austin, Austin is the guy. Yeah, you have done. not seen him put do a match since WrestleMania 19. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. He's the most comfortable wrestler I've ever seen with being retired. Yeah. That, and I mean, his retirement match, it wasn't, I know he had the thing on his vest and everything, but. It wasn't like some big build-up, like, this is it. If I don't yeah. beat Rock, I'm retiring. It wasn't It wasn't really played out. And the amount of offers he got after that to come back and for him to always never do it, yeah, he's the one guy, I think, that yeah. we can look at and say he, he stayed true to his word. Yeah. Even though he, he blames part of it on his, on his neck and stuff, but... 
it, no. If you can come back and hit stunners, even that's now. That's all you need to do. Even now. If you can compress your spine to fall on your ass, even with a broke neck, you can wrestle. The Undertaker's explanation of why he keeps coming back, though, is like, you know, I don't want to retire past my prime or whatever. But he goes out there and he has a bad performance against Goldberg in Saudi Arabia. Dude, and I love that Gold. Or I love that Austin called him out on that. Yeah. He did. He's like, I know it's a bad night at the office, but y'all stunk up the place. Yeah, but then, but then Undertaker was able to come back and yeah. do it, and it's yeah. just like. What is going to satisfy this guy? What is going to be the match where he finally says, "Okay, that was I can't and, top that." And when do we and when do we know it? That's the thing. Right. Well, is and, when do you cuz he keeps saying he's going out on his terms. Well, okay, are we doing a Ric Flair going out on his terms weekend or are we doing a hey, I did it Austin, you know, I, I, where you didn't know it you was didn't the know. End. Well, and that's the thing I've always said to you is I think it'd be a little, little unfair to his part, especially because he talked about his relationship with Vince McMahon, about how uh, they have a great relationship or whatever. I think it would be unfair to Vince for him to not say this coming up. This is going to be it. Yeah. Cause... But then, but then, even if he says that though, and he has a stinker. He's going to want to come back for another one. Yeah. So I think that's part of the reason they haven't played up. This is it. Final time. Undertaker no more. But I think if they built and worked behind closed doors. If. Yeah. For a full year. And we're talking about both men in the ring. Working. Choreographing. Making this be the ultimate match. You could have that weekend. That's the thing I said about like Brock and uh, Goldberg's match. Is you don't have to go out there and do anything crazy. No. You can give them the highlights. You can hit old school. You can hit a last ride. A tombstone. Good night. Thank you. That was brilliant. And, and don't try to get too crazy. Him and Cena... When Cena, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the quick little run-through that was like a four-minute match at WrestleMania. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. When Cena didn't even know Undertaker was going to be there for sure. Yeah, that was yeah, the yeah, story, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He hit, the, he hit the, you know... The highlights. The highlights. The greatest hits. Three, four minutes later, after walking down the aisle, we're walking back up it. And that's it. And the place loved it. And you're talking about it now. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be a, you know, if you want it to be that way, then yeah, you can put in the time, the effort, and choreograph, and and really kind of work together behind closed doors to make this a great match. Because if you work that closely with each other, it's going to work. I mean, they had to do that with Ultimate Warrior and Hogan, which Warrior was a horrifically terrible wrestler. Let's be honest. If it wasn't power, he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. And so him and Hogan had to do that building up for WrestleMania 6. All the way after WrestleMania 5, a full year building up for that to get through that match. And we talk about it to this day. It's still one of the most you know watched clips of all time. And 
there's no reason why you can't have somebody who is a great ring technician and timing and footwork. Undertaker is one of the best. Uh, his feet, uh, seriously, I love to watch his footwork when he starts throwing throwing punches. It's step, turn, pow, step, turn, pow. And he's got that wide base, and it just, it's so quick. It's a lot like Sting with the baseball bat type when he would take out the NWO. It's just very well well done. And But somebody of his caliber, if you build a match up for a year of working through it, God, it would tear the house down. We're talking about it'd be, it'd be Savage and Steamboat. And so the capability of it being there for that glorious send-off weekend, it's there. If 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 they actually put in the work, it's there. And I guarantee you there's not an arena alive that could, could not be sold out. If you tell everybody, listen, this is it. I'm done. People from around the world would pack up and fly... To be a part of that match. As Even if they know he's going to lose. Even if they know he's going to lose. Because legitimately, that's it. 30 years, like you said, of The Undertaker, not of Mark Calloway. 30 years of just a, a character itself finally walking away. That's it. I'm done. There, I swear to God, dude, there would, I guarantee you 150,000 people if they could get a place big enough. Seriously. Yeah, well, I mean, this all depends on if he tells Vince that this is it, because it doesn't yeah. seem like he ever does that. Yeah. The week before the Stone Cold interview with Undertaker, they did Untold with Sting and Seth Rollins about their uh, Sting's final match so far, and... Uh, it was a very good special, but at the very end, Sting says, you know, I'm retired, but if there's one thing I can do, be the Undertaker. He says it again, so they keep teasing he, that. Well, he wants it. That's the thing. is He knows how bad people want that fucking match. And can you imagine both men walking out? That's it. Oh, yeah, well, and I don't even care that Sting's 60 years old or whatever because you just hit the high, you hit the highlights. To be WrestleMania, to have Sting and Undertaker finally. I mean, yeah, no, they're not in their fucking prime. It's not 97. But still, they hit the highlights. They both retire. Right then and there, it's done. We walked away. Sting can even lose. Fuck it. Well, he's lost. That's all he's done in the WWE's lose. So. Or, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't have to be uh, it, that alone. I think would God, be, I'd it could be over in England and I'd pack my shit and go. It'd be in Japan. I'd pack my shit and go. It could be in Saudi Arabia. I probably would pack my shit and go if that was that match. And it, honest to God, was their last. And so, uh, but yeah, I got three more to talk about here. Nick Aldis at WrestleCade defended the NWA title against who? A former champion. Think about this. A former, a former NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. You'll never fucking get it. Ken Anderson or somebody. The Great Muda. And they tore the fucking house down. From what I was told. 
legitimately tore the house down. I would love to see this match. Well, they're gearing up for the end to the fire pay-per-view. That's happening a week it's, from today. Yeah, it's next weekend as well. Yeah, and, as uh, the NWA power tapings have run out, so you have Nick Aldis versus James Storm, two out of three falls match for the NWA title. Colt Cabana, Aaron Stevens, and Ricky Starks for the NWA National Championship. And the Rock and Roll Express take on the wild cards for the tag team championship. So, a card that was a little bit maligned by Jim Cornette. Uh, NWA yeah. Power definitely taking a bit of a hit from Jim Cornette. Yeah. So, your thoughts on this situation personally is what? When you hire Jim Cornette, you know what to expect, and that's outrageous commentary for good or bad, and you just sort of assume that when you put him on the payroll, because I don't agree with everything Jim Cornette says about other indie wrestlers on Twitter and stuff, because he's very disparaging towards wrestlers like Joey Ryan, who... Joey Ryan's not my cup of tea either. I see where Jim Cornette's coming from in his criticism of him. but I, I, I criticize him too. I think he's a piece of shit, but go on. But also his criticism of Orange Cassidy, who I love Orange Cassidy. I think Orange Cassidy might be, with proper backing behind AEW, the next biggest star in pro wrestling. I'm not shitting you. Really? Yes, because... I know he's a comedy wrestler, but he's actually a good wrestler when he actually wrestles. And his gimmick is just, to me, amazing. Because, like, he has totally flipped wrestling on its head as far as, I'll come in there, I I act like I don't care, I'll kick you really lightly, stick my hands in my pockets, I don't care. I don't care what's going on, whatever. I'm gonna wear my aviators whatever i'm gonna keep my hands in my pockets like there's just something about that that has never been brought to wrestling and it's different it's unique it's new and like it's never been seen before you know absolutely yeah and if it was someone else if it was someone if it was a fat guy doing that gimmick i wouldn't buy it but yeah when he actually does stuff, when he dives, when he does a suicide dive with his hands in his pockets, when he does... That's one of the most unbelievably... <laughs> thing. As simple as it is, it's insane to think that my hands are in my pockets and are not able to brace my fall. Uh, as a worker, it's, yes, I agree. But pre- sorry. Yeah, there's some things like... As he builds upon his character, I think he could be the next biggest star in professional wrestling. And Jim Cornette hates him. I think you're on something with that there. That's fine with me. That I disagree with Jim Cornette about a lot of stuff. As far as, like, but as far as his uh, historical takes on wrestling and as far as his knowledge of wrestling, I have a great deal of respect for him. Yeah. And I have a great deal of respect for his commentary style because... He just he has no filter. He just blurts it out there. Now the the comment that he made, the joke that he tried to make on that episode of NWA Power, 
as much blame as can be assigned to him, even though it's a joke that he's told in the past, just because you told it in the past doesn't make make it okay for the in today's standards. Right, yeah. Political political correctness. And when you say something about fried chicken in Ethiopia, yeah, he his his defense was, Oh, it's a starvation joke but you're talking about Ethiopians. If he had said fried chicken and some other nation of starved people where they weren't black, yeah. it would have been fine. It yes. would have been hunky-dory. And he had told the joke many times before. Um, but, so that part is on him. The second part, though, is on NWA Power's editing crew to not take that out when they are sitting back watching the show, which, as far as I know, is Dave Lagana sitting back and watching these shows. And for him not to... I know when you're editing stuff, you're not paying attention to every little detail. But if you miss that in your edit, had he cut that... And I'm not saying that, that people that say controversial things, they shouldn't always be set, saved by their editors. But... Had David Lagana heard that, which he did, somebody heard that in the editing process because these were taped many months ago. Yeah. And for them to let that fly, that's sort of on them too. And I think they sort of acknowledged it here on the season finale of NWA Power because they gave Jim Cornette a pretty good send-off yeah. and didn't address the controversy or why he resigned. Um, so, I think it's about, my split on who's to blame is about 60-40, because it's Jim Cornette, Jim Cornette should know better, especially because what's odd about it is Jim Cornette's a very liberal guy, a very, yes. he does not sympathize with white supremacists at all, as far as I can tell. And so for him to make a racist joke, as some people interpreted it, seems very odd. And that's why he had told it before. I think this is more of a case of a guy that had told a joke before and was just recycling things. But he should still know better. And even as soon as he blurted it out, he should have gone to the editors after the show and said, There's this one thing... The 60% falls on him, and then the 40% falls on being able to edit a telecast. Because if he had cut, if David Lagana or NWA had cut that out, there's no controversy, and Jim Cornette is still part of the announced team. So he yeah. was kind of let down by his supervisors, his editors. That, he he doesn't yeah. have anyone in his headset to say don't say that or we're gonna cut that or anything else. So paying attention to everything that was being said and done in all of those TV tapings while they were happening. But we don't know that there was actually someone in their ear. We know because I was there. There was a miscue at the very start of the very first match at the very first entrance of the show. They stopped. They started it the way they wanted to start it and then sent it back to have them restart the match. So there's people watching. There's people paying attention, even in comp paying attention backstage, 
listening to how things are being done. So, and all the way down to the fact that they've got their earpiece in and they're able to, while they're mic'd, talk out loud over the system, the sound system, to the guys in the back because the guys are talking to them. I I was there. I witnessed it. I can tell you firsthand there was somebody in his ear. And the fact that there was people who were watching the show while it was going on. At which point in time, then, the show goes to editing. The show gets cut down, it gets edited, it gets rewatched again. Same as when you edit our, our show. You listen to it again, you cut down, you pick out miscues, whatever. Because other, I mean, we know I'm perfect, but you have mistakes. So, <laughs> also, then, because I know it has to be this way, they go through a final edit. They're going to sit there. They're going to rewatch it because they're not wanting to screw this up. So I know of three times then that this could have been caught. It was okay in their eyes to put it out there because some person found it to be not politically correct and got a corn cob up their ass over a joke that has been said on numerous occasions cost this man to get fired. It's no different than Eddie Murphy making his joke. I love watching his comedy stand-up routine from Raw. It's Eddie Murphy's Raw from the 80s. And he's he's making fun of Italians coming out of a movie theater after seeing Rocky. Or what about... Um, what about Richard Pryor? Richard Pryor made tons of racist jokes. And these jokes are still loved by millions to this day. What about from Chattanooga himself, uh, Ralphie May, who unfortunately has passed away, I think is a hilarious comedian. No person size look, style, education, race, no one was off limits with him. Still loved by millions to this day even though he has passed away. This man has made a career, almost a 50 year career, in making comments that are offhand and off color. You knew what you were getting when you tuned in to watch they wanted it that way. I don't think they expected it to be that way as much as people took it the way they took it. I think they thought it was Cornette doing Cornette. It's David Lagana, Billy Corgan, everyone else. It's Jim Cornette doing his thing, the thing that has got him over for almost 50 years. So to place blame at them is ridiculous. To place blame at him is ridiculous. I think the political correctness of these people need to learn to get the hell over it. And I'm not saying that to offend people, and if I offend you, I apologize, but at the same time, if I'm offending you, you're probably the person I'm talking about. 
Yeah, I I just don't. Uh, have I said anything that is not true? And have I come off offensive in the way in which I ex- interpret? Oh no, I I don't. I don't think you're coming across offensive. It, to me, I do see the problem with what he said, and there was a difference when he made the same joke in 1995, and there and same joke. When he made in 1980-whatever, when he was doing commentary for WWF and WCW. Because it, it was a recycled joke. and But the problem is, is that as a society, you always try to get better. You always try to not alienate anybody. when And the problem is, though when you're faced with somebody who's trying to do comedy, and I I don't think the joke was that good to begin with. And I think that's the biggest problem, is that the joke just wasn't good. If the joke was on point, there's a reason that someone like Dave Chappelle can do racial humor and just nail it, because the jokes are good. And there's a reason that such and such, any comedy, in any comic, situation if you nail the joke if you establish everything about it you can say whatever you want and you're going to get a free pass i think that i think that in cornette's case in 2019 this joke just doesn't hold up anymore i think there are ways to he could have gone back to the drawing board if he had thought i'm going to use this joke again and tried to rework it and made it still good. Because if yeah. it gets a laugh, honestly, honestly, that's the thing most people forget about with humor. Does it get a laugh? If it gets a laugh, no one gives a shit what you said. You could have said the most awful thing. Yeah. And if it's a good joke, if it's a bad joke, which I just... It's not necessarily a bad joke, but it's it's just not... It's not it's not going to hit anybody. It's not going to be like, oh, that's just so fucking funny. Jim Cornette, fried chicken, Ethiopia. Yeah. I think that's the biggest problem he had with it. And had he only reached out to somebody and, and tried it beforehand or said, well, what do you think of that? Um, but... Obviously, from everything you read about him on Twitter and everything he's put out, he is definitely not a racist person. He's, he's not. not somebody that I would so. consider. <laughs> he hates people like that. He, he is. Yes. He actively campaigns against he, people. He like is that. a. He's a. You're absolutely correct, and I. I He's a bleeding heart liberal, and he, I. I'm a. I'm close friends with Jim, and I can honestly tell you, it was not meant in the way in which it was interpreted, and I. I I'm with you. He. I know he is not that way. He is a bleeding heart liberal. He is one of the first ones to come out about political correctness. And but at the same time, it's a joke, and it's Jim Cornette. You know what you're getting with him because it's the same shit he's been doing since fucking 1982. 
you kind of, you kind—I don't know, man. You kind of gotta let up on it, on it, and know that, know who you're dealing with, know what you're getting into, and know who's who it's coming from. And right when when Billy Corgan and David Lagana decide to do business with him, had they taken the approach of the WWE or other companies and just totally ignored it? We have very short-term memory in general in the mm-hmm. United States about what people say, what people do, whatever. That could have been a news story for one day. Next day, it would have been gone. Yeah. He could have been on the next episode and just moved on. I mean, we're talking... If we're talking about pro wrestling, I mean, we've been... You and I have been harping on WWE for going back to Saudi Arabia, which killed Jamal Khashoggi with a fucking bone saw and talking about how much disgust we have. But I think for a lot of people, they've moved on. That story's out of the headlines. They've moved on because people have... They have no short-term memory. Yeah. And they just move on. And going back to that Khashoggi thing for a second, we had a, a mass shooting... At a Florida naval base, guess what? It was a Saudi guy on the the yeah. air base. So people just people just forget and move on. And that and that shooting barely made any headlines. Yeah. Because we've become so accustomed to mass shootings and everything, because we have such short term memory and with shootings it's like body count, like, oh, you only killed three people? That's where we've seen that before. We need to see in the hundreds or whatever. It's just attention. Yeah. Which is sad. It is sad. Because one person killed is one too many. And and absolutely. And, and just like, just like anything, it's, we don't pause long enough to analyze something. We're just very reactionary. It's just like the people on Twitter that said fire Jim Cornette. Yeah. And he gets fired. Even though... (laughs) That just seems a little unfair to me that it's just so reactionary. And then they... They do it sometimes. Sometimes that is appropriate. Sometimes the outrage and the reaction when it actually causes change is warranted. And in Jim Cornette's case, I feel like it wasn't quite warranted. No. Because these were all pre-taped. It's not like he has a chance to come back the next week on the show and apologize. It's not like he has a chance to explain himself or anything. Right. It's just like, reaction, you're done. But in other situations, it's just like, oh, reaction, we'll ignore it. Two weeks later, you don't even remember. Right. So... Um. Stu Bennett, uh, the former Wade Barrett, is going to take over for him at Into the Fire. And I'm very curious to see how he does, because I always thought he was a good talker. At the same time, you lose all that prestige of the NWA history, the wrestling historian. Yeah, because I consider... I mean, yes, the Rock and Roll Express winning the tag team titles shows some sort of history and prestige and honor of the NWA. But, Which he got into the ring and celebrated afterwards, the, so it was super awkward at the, the end. The NWA is probably the most well-known person 
in this business today that is associated of when you think of him, you think of the NWA. And that is Jim Cornette. He well, just is, when I think of historians. He is the... You're right. He's the history. He's the historian. He can break it down. He... Well, I know a lot of wrestling history. And I consider myself to be quite a wrestling dictionary myself. But... And others do as well. I mean, even you've said it in the past. Jim Cornette foreshadows me by light years. And... I think to throw that away over a comment. Now, I'm not blaming them. They did what at the time they thought needed to be done to save face for a new company that is up and coming that we got to make sure we handle this right. They did it. That's what they thought needed to be done. Okay. My opinion, if I was in their shoes, I would have fined him. I would have said, hey, listen, we apologize. Have him come out publicly and apologize some other way. Because he is your credible, your credibility. He is your backbone of the history. He's your link to the past. To the past. Exactly. That's the best way to put it. He's your link to the past. And uh, listen, they handled it the way they thought it needed to be handled. Um, I, you know, I, I, each person would have handled it differently. Uh, As for me specifically, I think it was a little overreactionary. Like you said, I think it was jumped to the ultimate of ultimates to try to save face immediately. And I hate to put it this way too, but when we get down to controversial topics or controversial allegations against people, like uh, one thing I go back to is during all the Me Too stuff, Ryan Seacrest was accused of it. Totally beat the rap. Got yeah. to keep his job. Got to be on American Idol and all that stuff. And th- and that's why, and that's because they valued his talent at such a point where we don't care. Right. We don't care. He'll figure it out. They'll settle it in the courts. But we're gonna keep him as our guy. Yeah. And for Jim Cornette, to me, if I'm trying to start up a wrestling promotion. And I've got Jim Cornette. I've got this wealth of information. And he's amazing on commentary. Yes. That's one thing that goes kind of unnoticed after all this. Is that even back when he was doing WWF and WCW. When he was able to step in there and actually just do commentary. He filled in in 1985 on World Championship Wrestling as commentary because of Shivani couldn't be there or somebody else. And he was that good then. My comparison in the wrestling world is like, okay, Enzo Amore gets into some trouble. He's getting fired. Yep. Because, unfor- and I'm not saying this is the right way to do things, but what what you bring to the product 
and your talent seems to get you a certain amount of leeway. And to me, if I was running a wrestling promotion, I would give him the benefit of the doubt. I would give him a second chance because of what he brings. Yeah. His level of talent. I agree. And I'm not saying that's the right way to do things. I'm just saying that's the way that it's been done, not only in the wrestling industry, but the entertainment industry, the TV industry. Like Matt Lauer, Today's Show, he was doing terrible things. He was pressuring all these girls to have affairs with them and stuff. But the reason NBC kept him around, even though they had probably heard of some of these complaints, because he's really fucking good. He's getting us ratings. And that's a terrible way to operate, but it's what can you do for me? And Political correctness has gotten to the point that it is over-saturating the entire human race to the point that no one can laugh without at off- anything <laughs> without offending somebody. Well... And or or no one can make a statement without offending. The somebody. really the strange thing I've seen in my lifetime is that political correctness in the late nineties, uh, it seemed to be all the people on the right wanted the left was really into talking about like sex and stuff. They wanted all that cracked down <clears throat> on. The moral majority, they all wanted that. But then we've seen a shift We've seen a shift in the last 20 years to now where it's the right saying, hey, we want to be able to say these things. And the left is saying, no, you can't call this person that name and all that stuff. And it's a really crazy thing to me that that has happened, the shift, the social shift, because both sides have problems with language and speech. Yes. But now it seems like the persecuted were the persecutors. And now if we go forward 10 years, it'll probably be shifted back around. It's just a very weird thing where... Well, I mean, I I made reference to to Eddie Murphy, who is one of the greatest comedians of all time. Richard Pryor, who is one of the greatest comedians of all time. Ralphie Mae, who I adore and love and think he's hilarious. You look me square in the eye at a wrestling show. Okay. And you call me anything you want to call. You can call me honky. You can call me hillbilly. You can call me redneck. You can call me cracker. You can call me... There are plenty of racial, white, slang, terms, whatever you want to say, that are said... What's the difference in me being at a show and performing in front of you and you saying it at me versus me saying it to you? Because how many fans have chanted the N-word at certain wrestlers or how many fans have said other racial-defying words at certain wrestlers? And what's the difference? What You tell me what's the difference. If you want to really break down the political correctness, you tell me what's the difference. Because there's not one. You're, you want to be able to get away with it, but I can't... 
you can you can give it, but you damn sure can't take it. And that's what that's the problem. Too many people have their butts on their shoulders. Too many people are too offended way too easily. Too many people are it's my way or the highway. Well, I think I think what's happened is everybody has everybody has split themselves into a persecuted minority group. Okay, so I'm a fat white guy. So yeah. if you make fat jokes at me, I'm going to say, hey man, body sensitivity yeah. over here. What yeah. are you doing talking about fat guys? Yeah. Everybody's special. It's the everybody's special thing that's happened over the last 40 years or whatever to where everybody's persecuted. Everybody has their own struggle and you don't... And so nothing can be said. To I mean, you can't... You're stepping on landmines no matter what you say because, right. oh, if I mention that Korean people eat dogs, oh, you're being disrespectful to Korean people. Well, that's based in fact because there's some Korean people eating dogs in yeah. South Korea. Yeah. But no, 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 you can't say that. You yeah. have to put that in your blinders or whatever. Yeah. And you can go to the most obscure, I mean, a guy that can't drive a stick shift and you get on stage and, and make fun of people that can't drive a manual transmission car and he's going to sit there and say, hi man, what the fuck man, I never learned that. So yeah. it's just, it's gotten down to where everybody thinks that they are protected. Yeah. When that goes against comedy, that goes against commentary, that... It goes, we ha we it, have to it acknowledge goes, it goes against free speech. Well, we just have to acknowledge our differences yeah. and be okay with that. Yeah, and yeah, we could go on for hours about that. What else you got? Uh, well, last uh, is Steven Seagal's daughter. Yes, movie actor Steven Seagal. Uh, his daughter was offered a WWE tryout. Uh, no details have come from that tryout. However. Uh, who knows? We might be seeing a uh, a Seagal in a wrestling ring very soon. That's exciting. I wish it was Steven because that would have been great. He's amazing. <laughs> but that, that's it, buddy. That's what I got. So we're uh, we're gonna head on to our our pick, which. Um, we had a listener request this show, and that was about three weeks ago. So we're finally getting around. We're finally getting around to do it. Hang on, let me. I'm gonna listen. He deserves his credits here, so let me let me find this gentleman here because we love our fans. And dude, I promise you, I'm not just flat out don't know you. I just we have so many that I talk to on a numerous bases that I can't keep up with everybody. Nick Lepowski. Nick Lepowski wanted to see the Battle Royal at the Albert Hall, which is at Royal Albert Hall in England, so it was really the Battle Royal at Royal Albert Hall. This was on October 3rd, 1991, and it was televised on Sky Movies Plus, so it was he's, on television. 
He seems to not be on Facebook anymore also, so... Uh, okay, good. So he's not going to be listening to this. Nick, uh, yeah, buddy. So, alright. It's October 3rd, 1991. We're in London, England at Royal Albert Hall. And the main event of this pay-per-view extravaganza is the 20-man battle royal. So, that's what we have to look forward to. It's typically a bad sign when the WWE Network starts a show by displaying the presented in most complete form due to original production technical difficulties. But, as far as I could tell, besides a few music dubs, there really wasn't anything cut as far as I could tell. They dub over the intro music so it's not actually synced with the wrestling clips they show. Gorilla Monsoon welcomes us in. He's joined by Bobby the Brain Heenan, so we get the classic commentary team between Gorilla and Bobby Heenan. Heenan mentions the Queen's Box, and Gorilla says, you keep it up and you'll be in the Queen's Box as we get Weasel Chance for Bobby. No Howard Finkel on this show. Instead, you get a random announcer and then Lord Alfred Hayes later in the night. Nobs and Sags walk out for the inaugural bout on this show. They're going to take on the Rockers, who get a big ovation as they come down to the ring. The Rockers theme and the Ultimate Warriors theme, by the way, sounds a lot alike. I have always thought that. The Rockers steal Sags' jacket, whip him out of the ring with it. The Nassies stall with a posing for the crowd. The Rockers then pose for the crowd as well. Finally, Sean and Sags lock up in the corner. Sags lands a few strikes before eating a super kick. Sags comes in and gets one as well. And then Marty dives on both the Nasties, who have to regroup on the outside. Nobs comes in and takes over with Marty, but Marty bulldogs him and drop kicks him out of the ring and regroups again. The Nasties try to leave. They reconsider, come back to the ring. Marty works a chin lock on Sags, but Sags stands up, chops him to escape. Marty takes Sags down with an arm drag into an arm bar, but then he gets to the ropes, so Sean makes an illegal tag and Joey Morella lets it slide. Marty does it, and Morella asks the crowd, Hey, did he make a tag? And the crowd says, Yeah. So Joey Morella says, I'll allow it. Sean does it again, and Joey Morella lets it go again, so the Rockers not paying any attention to the rules. Sean crotches Sags, but then Sean takes a tumble to the outside after Knobs pulls the ring ropes down. The Nassies get the heat on Sean and Sags locks HBK in a bear hug. Knobs puts the camel clutch on Sean. Sean back suplexes out. Marty gets the hot tag, but the ref won't allow it because Marty's foot was over the rope. Sean finally makes the hot tag. Marty takes out the Nassies. The Rockers sling the Nassies into each other. Marty covers Sags, but it was only a two count. Hart distracts the ref and Sean, but then Nobbs gets the megaphone, hits Janetti, and the Nasties escape with the win as Sags pins Marty Janetti. So the faces go down in match one, and the Nasty Boys get a win with a megaphone. So good opening match. Uh, this might have been match on the night, honestly, from what I would see going forward. Wow, really? Yeah, the the competition wasn't that high. It wasn't that high. That is very true. Ric Flair is backstage with his WCW world title 
unbleeped here because they were in the United Kingdom, so they could leave it unblurred as WCW is suing over it. Coming up, Tito Santana later in the evening, of course, it's the gigantic 20-man battle royal. Santana, you find out firsthand why, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Ric Flair is the greatest wrestler alive today than the great battle royal, all the great wrestlers involved. One problem, Roddy Piper, you're here live tonight, and boy, you can run, but you can't hide. You know why? Because the real world's heavyweight champion is here to make sure you know firsthand that i'm the man for now and ever all right confidence personified gentlemen he is one of a kind he is nature boy rick flair gorilla bobby let's get back to you in an action-packed crowd here at royal albert hall and mean gene is back with rick flair tito santana ariba He's out next. He's taking on Ric Flair. Tito hits a shoulder block. Flair works a wrist lock. Tito wakes up, flings Rick around the ring before brawling outside. Flair gets up, beats down Tito, has a few words for the crowd. Flair flip into a clothesline from Tito. They have a backslide battle. Tito gets a near fall from it. Flair hits a side suplex into the figure four. Flair uses the ropes as leverage, but Santana manages to roll it over and reverse the pressure, so Flair has to let it go. Chop battle on the outside, and Flair rolls Tito into the ring to get caught off the top rope as usual, and Tito nearly pins Flair. Tito hits the flying jalapeno, as Bobby calls it, but Flair gets a foot on the rope for a near fall. Flair, O'Connor roll with the tights, gets the win on Tito Santana. So, there you go. This had a very house show feel to it tonight, because no one was taking finishers. No. And uh, people were just getting wins. The heels were getting wins on heelish things. And the faces got some wins. We go to Mean Gene with the medium-sized boss man. He says, the law will be there even though we're not in the U.S. And I plan on winning the trophy in the Battle Royal. The sheriff is in town, folks. I'm talking about the big boss man. Of course, the gigantic 20-man battle royal here at Royal Albert Hall later on. But first things first, big boss man, you're going to be meeting one-on-one moments from now, the earthquake. You know, Mean Gene, when they say World Wrestling Federation, they mean the entire world. And that is my jurisdiction, whether it be here in London or in the States. The law will be there. First things first, Jimmy Hart's man, earthquake. Six foot nine, 500 pound piece of trash. Well, tonight, boy, the big boss man's gonna take out the trash. And when I get through doing that, I'm gonna celebrate, Mean Gene. And you know how I'm gonna celebrate? I'm gonna win me a little trophy right here. Earthquake comes out with Jimmy Hart to talk to Mean Gene. He's taking on the boss man. And then the scoop slams the boss man, but boss man rolls out of the ring to avoid Earthquake's elbow drops. Boss man schoolboys quake for a two count. Drops an axe handle off the ropes to take Quake down. Quake catches Bossman attempting a crossbody off the buckles for a near fall. Bossman gets caught in another bear hug. Then Earthquake takes Bossman down with another side headlock. Quake and Bossman go outside the ring where Bossman gets flung into the steps by Earthquake. They get back in the ring. Bossman gets hit with an avalanche splash in the corner. Bossman slows Earthquake down with an enziguri, but Bossman... It's slow to cover and only gets a two count. Bossman takes Jimmy Hart off the apron. 
Quake gets tied up in the ropes and the Mountie comes out to help Jimmy Hart. Mountie then trips Bossman, Quake elbow drops him, and Quake gets the win over the jailman from Cobb County, Georgia, as Bossman goes down. Another face goes down. Bossman then chases after the heels. Then we go backstage with Mean Gene and the trophy. The trophy that will be presented to the Battle Royal winner tonight. The Texas Tornado comes in and says he's going fist and fire to win it. The Texas Tornado blowing into the United Kingdom. You've got to be one of the favorites to win this gigantic Battle Royal. And oh, what a thrill that would be. That's right, Gene. You know, this is the toughest match. The toughest match the World Wrestling Federation can offer. This is for all the bragging rights. And the winner of this match will be the King of the Mountain. And I'll tell you what, I'm coming fist and fire because I'm planning on winning it, Gene. You know, we should point out it's every man for himself. However, you've got an appointment here moments from now with another superstar called the Mountie from Canada. That's right. You know, the Mountie's real tough when he's got that stick in his hand. But we step in that squared circle. You won't have that stick, brother. It's you and me. All right. Thank you very much, folks. The action, fast and furious. The Battle Royal at Royal Albert Hall continues after this. He's got the Mountie next, though. Mountie says, I am the Mountie, and calls Carrie Kevin Von Erich. So Mountie fucks up which Von Erich he's facing. Mountie goes to the ring, complains about not hearing his music, then Carrie comes down. Gorilla keeps calling the Mountie a jailbird. That's because he lost a match to Boss Man in Madison Square Garden where he had to go to jail for a night. Discus punch to Mountie sends Mountie reeling on the outside. Mountie teases leaving when the crowd chants jailbird at him. He goes back in the ring, puts Carrie in a sleeper. Carrie hulks up, elbows out, only gets to get caught in the sleeper once again. Tornado runs him into the post to escape. Then the Texas Tornado tries a sleeper. Mountie gets to the ropes. They go outside the ring and Mountie rams Carrie's head into the steps. Carrie returns a favor, but Discus punches the post instead of the Mountie. Mountie uses the ropes, pins Carrie after Carrie slipped off the Mountie while attempting to mount him for punches in the buckles and his wrist. The bad wrist from hitting the post gave out, so he fell down, and the Mountie got the win. Then, the referee is confused as he appears to have the match continue, even though the match is over. He counted a three count and seemed to say, okay, we can keep going. Mountie leaves with Jimmy Hart, though, and the Tornado gets his music (laughs) played despite losing. Funeral parlor segment next with Paul Bear and Undertaker. You know the deal. Rest in peace. Welcome, welcome to my parlor. And oh, what a pleasure it is to be in London, England this evening. The Royal Albert Hall. Just think of all the royalty who's passed through these doors. Tonight's your night. Oh, yes, right here in London, England. And then there'll be the Battle Royal. Jim Duggan has the sands of the hourglass run out 
soul with a breath in your lungs and long before the battle royal comes rigor mortis will have set in all that's left is a WWF mass burial rest in peace <laughs> an actual organist plays Undertaker into the Albert Hall to take on Jim Duggan the highlight of the show so I was going to say this is awesome Jim Duggan then brings a US flag into a British venue and he gets a decent reaction really so this does. is no patriot here Jim Duggan just over Taker gets taken out of the ring lands on his feet when Duggan clotheslines him then massive USA chants from the England crowd to Jim Duggan. Taker's primary move is just the blatant choke. He has nothing else in his uh, arsenal. Inverted atomic drop to Taker, who barely sells it, but he has to sell it a little bit because if he didn't, he'd be a dickless zombie. Duggan then does some corner punches, walks out of the ring for some reason, goes after Paul Bearer, grabs his 2x4 from him, then Duggan goes back in the ring with the 2x4 and just nails Undertaker with it. Ding, 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 DQ. Undertaker no-sells the 2x4 shot. Duggan, though, knocks Undertaker out of the ring, who continues to no-sell. And then Undertaker just follows Paul Bear and the urn to the back. As he didn't give a shit that he just lost. Well, he won the match. But yes. he didn't give a shit about being hit with a 2x4. Mean Gene is with Rowdy Roddy Piper who rants and raves about Bobby Heenan and Ric Flair. He calls Flair a feather-wearing, flocking freak, which I swear he said fucking freak. I th- I'm glad you heard that too, because I thought he said fucking as well. And I think Gene did too. His eyes lit up when he said it, but he said flocking freak. I did. I tell you, I'm prouder than Punch to be the the Royal Albert Hall. I I wish I had some relatives so they could be proud of me, man. I've never been in company this good before. Of course, I figured if they let Bobby the Brain Heenan in, then I could come in. I figured that was okay. Heenan, I've been listening to you. You lie more than the government does. And one more time, you call this a skirt, baby, I'm going to come up there and slap you so long your hair's going to go back to its natural color. And as for you, Mr. Ric Flair, the real world champion. If you believe that, you believe there's going to be a, a boy George Jr. Let me tell you something, real world champion, you feather-wearing fucking freak. Let me tell you something. Not one time have I backed down from no one. Battle Royal, you should see these guys back there. 20 guys, they're gnawing on the walls. They're gnawing on each other. Oh, it's going to be a wonderful time. What I'm going to do, I'm going to get my hands on Flair, going to finish up the Battle Royal. Then you know what I'm going to do? What, what? I'm going to get that football player, Gaza, going to take him to the disco, show him how to ring a few bells. Fire! We go to break, and Mean Gene is now a typhoon and Jimmy Hart. Mean Gene, the hardest working man on this show. Jimmy mentions he's got five chances to win. Okay, because he's got five guys in his stable in the Battle Royal. Gene asks Earthquake and Typhoon if the final two, if you guys are the final two, are you going to fight each other? And they just brush it off. Power and Glory, Hercules, and Paul Roma are out next to take on the Legion of Doom. 
LOD are here with Gene. They yell. Hawk says Power and Glory will be renamed Sour and Glory. Ha ha. Ah, what a rush. That's right, Gene. Hawk and I are back there watching the monitor, and we can't help over here and you two little geeks. You tell us we don't deserve to be champions. You tell us you're going to show us where the power and who is the glory. How do you think we got to be world champions? By beating nobodies? We've beaten the best that the World Wrestling Federation has to offer. And we're going to be champions for a long, long time. Right, Hawk? What about it, Hawk? Swelling of the fluid sac surrounding the brain. Contusions. Inner bleeding. These are the things that our dreams are made of. Power and glory. And you'll soon to be renamed Sour and Glory. Because when we get done with you, your mother won't accept the looks that you have been thrown about the ring from one end to the other right here in London. You know, gentlemen, aside from your title defense, I don't know if I, with the magnitude of this title defense, I don't know if I should touch on it, but it's conceivable the two of you are going to be involved in the gigantic battle royal at the end of the night. Now, I tried to ask a couple of people earlier on what would happen, say, for instance, if Hawk and Animal, if you were to be the final two men in the ring at the end of the battle royal, how would, how would things There's shake just up? Just one way to sum that up, Mean Gene. You see, Gene, Hawk and I, ever since we were little punk kids in Chicago, we've been against the odds all our life. And we've proven, just the way a lot of people out there have proven, that you can be something. And now, we're the WWF World Tag Team Champions. And after we beat you, Power of Glory, we're coming after that battle royal. Because there's nothing better than the Legion of Doom lights is a good gang fight. Right, Hawk? Power and Glory come out to crickets, and then LOD come out to a massive reaction. These guys are super over in Dude, the United yes. Kingdom. Jeez. Hawk challenges Roma to a test of strength. Roma refuses, but accepts eventually. Roma just throws some right hands to escape, and then eats a drop kick from Hawk. Neckbreaker to Roma, and Hawk drops a forearm for a one count. Hercules comes in with Hawk. They both no-sell strikes. Hercules slows Hawk down with an atomic drop, but Hawk gets right back up because fuck selling this shit. Then he slams Hercules' head against the buckles. Roma comes in, pile drives Hawk, who beats him to his feet as he's not selling that either. Hawk scoop slams Roma, but Roma dodges Hawk's flying clothesline. Animal gets a hot tag, shoulder blocks Roma, drop kicks Hercules, power bombs Roma. Hercules makes a save. Roma climbs the buckles, tries a crossbody animal who catches him, power slams him, and gets the win out of nowhere, and the Legion of Doom are victorious. Genius backstage with British Bulldog. Bulldog smells victory in the Battle Royal. That's right, I'm excited, Mean Gene. The British Bulldog's at home. And what did we say to each other, Mean Gene, on the flight over here? When we landed in London Airport, I said, I smell something, Mean Gene. I said, I smell victory. The British Bulldog smells victory in his hometown. He smells victory wrestling the Barbarian. Coming up pretty soon. And then, Mean Gene, I smell victory in that 20-man battle royal. Earthquake, typhoon. There's an old saying in England. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. And you will fall to the feet of the British Bulldog right here in the Royal Albert Hall. 
Lord Alfred Hayes gets to introduce the next match between Barbarian and British Bulldog, and the place goes nuts. So this was my idea for that pay-per-view we covered last week in 1997, and they did it here in 1991. So I I was wrong. They were ahead of the curve. <laughs> air horns. The uh, soccer air horns get Bulldog chants going. Bulldog, by the way, Bulldog juiced out of his fucking mind. This dude was massive. Like, I've seen Bulldog many, many ways. This was the biggest he's ever been. Bulldog hits a diving slap. He dove off the ropes just to slap Barbarian and then drop kicks him out of the ring. Barbarian returns the favor of the big boot that takes Bulldog out of the ring. Bulldog gets a bloody nose somehow as Barbarian puts him in a sleeper. Barbarian misses a second rope elbow. Bulldog can't capitalize as he gets his fist thrown into the post. But then he hits a long-delayed vertical suplex to Barbarian for a near fall. A running power slam. One, two, three. The British Bulldog wins. Our hero in Britain is the British guy. (laughs) Genius with the nasties and Jimmy Hart where Sag says a guy named Adolf raised some hell around here. So a good Hitler reference here tonight. But nothing like the Nasties are going to do. Yes, genocide will be nothing like the Nasty Boys are going to do here tonight. Time for the Battle Royal. Our main event carries out first. Natural Disasters, then Tito, then the Mountie, then the Rockers, then Barbarian, then Bossman, then Power and Glory. Jim Duggan, Nasty Boys, Ric Flair, LOD, Bulldog, Undertaker, and finally, the ringer, Rowdy Roddy Piper, who got... The biggest reaction out of this bunch. Flair and Piper exit the ring. They don't go over the top rope, so Piper chokes Flair with camera cables. Bossman and Mountie exit as well. They're brawling. Earthquake nearly dumps the big Bossman, but Bossman skins the cat, gets back in. Hercules gets eliminated first. Poor Hercules. Then Carry Von Erich. Nobbs is eliminated by a finger poke from Piper. No shit. Nobbs was on the apron and then got a finger poke from Rowdy Roddy Piper and bit the dust. Marty Jannetty gets dumped out. Tito dumps Barbarian. Tito then gets eliminated. Hawk gets dumped along with Sags. Sean skins the cat but gets eliminated by the Mountie. Animal power slams Flair. Quake dumps Jim Duggan. Duggan runs in with the 2x4, takes Earthquake out of the match. Piper dumps Flair. Paul Roma has somehow made it to the final eight along with Typhoon, so congratulations to Tag Guys. Bulldog dumps Roma out. Oh, sorry, congratulations, a little premature. Undertaker tosses Animal out. Piper dumps Undertaker out, who pulls him over with him, so Piper's out. The final four are the Mountie, Big Boss Man, Typhoon, and the British Bulldog in Great Britain. Who's going to win out of these four? Typhoon and Mountie talk strategy against the two faces. Mountie just bails. Bossman gives chase. Mountie low bridges Bossman out of the ring. So it's two heels against Bulldog. Typhoon crushes Mountie with a corner splash by accident. Then Bulldog muscles Typhoon up. Tries to dump him out, but Mountie stops him. Mountie and Typhoon double clothesline Bulldog. Typhoon accidentally clotheslines Mountie out of the ring. So now it's down to Bulldog and Typhoon. Bulldog takes Typhoon off his feet with a standing drop kick. Typhoon responds with an avalanche splash for a clo- and then a clothesline. And then Typhoon charges Bulldog for a clothesline. 
but gets dumped out, and Bulldog gets the win. Then Earthquake comes into the ring, even though he was eliminated. Power slams the British Bulldog, poses, and he makes the ring shake as he charges up for the big whoopsie. But then, the equalizer, the surprise, Andre the Giant comes out with his cane and rams the disaster's heads together. Davy celebrates with the trophy that falls apart as he picked it up, but it didn't matter. He still celebrates it. And he celebrates with his British flag as Andre looks on from the outside. So, what a card. Uh, just a yes. house show card that was put on TV over there. So it was slightly better than a house show, I suppose. But not a lot to be taken away from this. It was the average standard. It is what it is. And even though it's 1991, you're missing some of the stars that could have been available. Uh, Hogan, Sid, um, Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man, for whatever reason, all these guys are not involved. So you don't have the star power. Even without the star power, the matches that the stars were involved in were just jobber matches. They were just with people that had, they had no feuds with. So yeah. why not have Flair and Piper? Why not have LOD and the Rockers? Why not have matches where you actually see people contenders and you actually have believable matches? And so for me, that's why I just didn't like this show at all, really. I thought that... Bulldog got an amazing reaction, and it was good to see him put over, but, I mean, it's no SummerSlam 92. No. So, um, what did you think of this show? I thought it was outstanding. I, uh, (laughs) I enjoyed it, but it was a 50-50. It was what it was. I think for the shows of its time, it was pretty good, top to bottom. There wasn't a Jameson uh, Bushwhackers match, so I have to count my blessings. Yeah. But on our rating scale of Hornswoggle to John Gonzalez, where would you rate this one? Texas Tornado. Carrie Von Erich. I'm going to give it a Marty Jannetty. Marty Jannetty. It had its moments, but it was uh, pretty much forgotten about. Yeah. Alright, for next week I'm going to pick a recent addition to the WWE Network as they uploaded the rest of Thunder. We've got the rest of Thunder. So, as much as everyone's talked about the last episode of WCW Nitro, let's do the last episode of WCW Thunder. And also I wanted to bring up that the Hidden Gem segment of the network has been discontinued so no more what no more hidden gems really hope you enjoyed your hidden gems because there's no more i did they quit that so but they did upload the rest of thunder so we will look back at the march i want to say it's 21st episode of thunder the final thunder which features aj styles in a tag match air raid coming at you so, kind of a cool thing to see there, because a lot of his WCW matches aren't on the network. 
you can always go to powerslam.tv, use the promo code RETROWRESTLING, and get a month for free. That'll do it for this week. I'm Intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline's a clothesline. And bingo, bingo. <laughs>